Section 48 of the Works of Guy de Maupassant, Volume 3, by Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. An Adventure in Paris. Is there any stronger feeling than curiosity in a woman? Oh, fancy seeing, knowing, touching what one has dreamt about. What would a woman not do for that? When once a woman's eager curiosity is aroused, she will be guilty of any folly, commit any imprudence, venture upon anything, and recoil from nothing. I am speaking of women who are really women, who are endowed with that triple-bottom disposition, which appears to be reasonable and cold on the surface, but whose three secret compartments are filled. The first, with female uneasiness, which is always in a state of flutter. The next, with sly tricks, which are colored in imitation of good faith, with those sophistical and formidable tricks of apparently devout women. And the last, with all those charming improper acts, with that delightful deceit, exquisite perfidy, and all those wayward qualities which drive lovers who are stupidly credulous to suicide, but which delight others. The woman whose adventure I am about to relate was a little person from the provinces, who had been insipidly chaste till then. Her life, which was apparently so calm, was spent at home, with a busy husband and two children, whom she brought up like an irreproachable woman. But her heart beat with unsatisfied curiosity, and some unknown longing. She was continually thinking of Paris, and read the fashionable papers eagerly. The accounts of parties, of the dresses, and various entertainments excited her longing. But above all, she was strangely agitated by those paragraphs which were full of double meaning, by those veils which were half-raised by clever phrases, and which gave her a glimpse of culpable and ravishing delights. And from her country home, she saw Paris in an apotheosis of magnificent and corrupt luxury. And during the long nights when she dreamt, lulled by the regular snores of her husband, who was sleeping on his back by her side with a silk handkerchief tied round his head, she saw, in her sleep, those well-known men whose names appeared on the first page of the newspapers as great stars in the dark skies. And she pictured to herself their life of continual excitement, of constant debauches, of orgies such as they indulged in in ancient Rome, which were horridly voluptuous with refinements of sensuality which were so complicated that she could not even picture them to herself. The boulevards seemed to her to be a kind of abyss of human passions, and there could be no doubt that the houses there concealed mysteries of prodigious love. But she felt that she was growing old, and this without having known life, except in those regular, horridly monotonous, everyday occupations, which constitute the happiness of the home. She was still pretty, for she was well-preserved in her tranquil existence, like some winter fruit in a closed cupboard. But she was agitated and devoured by her secret ardor. She used to ask herself whether she should die without having experienced any of those damning, intoxicating joys without having plunged once, just once, into that flood of Parisian voluptuousness. 
by dint of much perseverance she paved the way for a journey to paris found a pretext got some relations to invite her and as her husband could not go with her she went alone and as soon as she arrived she invented a reason for remaining for two days or rather for two nights if necessary as she told him that she had met some friends who lived a little way out of town and then she set out on a voyage of discovery she went up and down the boulevards without seeing anything except roving and numbered vice she looked into the large cafes and read the agony column of the figaro which every morning seemed to her like a toxin a summons to love but nothing put her on the track of those orgies of actors and actresses nothing revealed to her those temples of debauchery which she imagined opened at some magic word like the cave in the arabian nights or those catacombs in rome where the mysteries of a persecuted religion were secretly celebrated her relations who were quite middle-class people could not introduce her to any of those well-known men with whose names her head was full and in despair she was thinking of returning when chance came to her aid one day as she was going along the rue de la chaussee d'antin she stopped to look into a shop full of those colored japanese knick-knacks which strike the eye on account of their color she was looking at the little ivory buffoons the tall vases of flaming enamel and the curious bronzes when she heard the shopkeeper dilating with many bows on the value of an enormous pot-bellied comical figure which was quite unique he said to a little bald-headed gray-bearded man every moment the shopkeeper repeated his customer's name which was a celebrated one in a voice like a trumpet the other customers young women and well-dressed gentlemen gave a swift and furtive but respectful glance at the celebrated writer who was looking admirably at the china figure they were both equally ugly as ugly as two brothers who had sprung from the same mother i will let you have it for a thousand francs monsieur varine and that is exactly what it cost me i should ask anybody else fifteen hundred but i think a great deal of literary and artistic customers and have special prices for them they all come to me monsieur varine yesterday monsieur busnac bought a large antique goblet of me and the other day i sold two candelabra like this is it not handsome to monsieur alexander dumas if monsieur zola were to see that japanese figure he would buy it immediately monsieur varine the author hesitated in perplexity as he wanted to have the figure but the price was above him and he thought no more about her looking at him than if he had been alone in the desert she came in trembling with her eyes fixed shamelessly upon him and she did not even ask herself whether he were good-looking elegant or young it was jean varine himself jean varine after a long struggle and painful hesitation he put the figure down onto the table no it is too dear he said the shopkeeper's eloquence redoubled oh monsieur varine too dear it is worth two thousand francs if it is worth a son but the man of letters replied sadly still looking at the figure with the enameled eyes i do not say it is not but it is too dear for me and thereupon she seized by a kind of mad audacity came forward and said 
what shall you charge me for the figure the shopkeeper in surprise replied fifteen hundred francs madame i will take it the writer who had not even noticed her till that moment turned round suddenly he looked at her from head to foot with half-closed eyes observantly and then he took in the details as a connoisseur she was charming suddenly animated by that flame which had hitherto been dormant in her and then a woman who gives fifteen hundred francs for a knick-knack is not to be met with every day but she was overcome by a feeling of delightful delicacy and turning to him she said in a trembling voice excuse me monsieur no doubt i have been rather hasty as perhaps you had not finally made up your mind he however only bowed and said indeed i had madame and she filled with emotion continued well monsieur if either to-day or at any other time you change your mind you can have this japanese figure i only bought it because you seemed to like it he was visibly flattered and smiled i should much like to find out how you know who i am he said then she told him how she admired him and became quite eloquent as she quoted his works and while they were talking he rested his arms on a table and fixed his bright eyes upon her trying to make out who and what she really was but the shopkeeper who was pleased to have that living puff of his goods called out from the other end of the shop just look at this monsieur varin is it not beautiful and then everyone looked round and she almost trembled with pleasure at being seen talking so intimately with such a well-known man at last however intoxicated as it were by her feelings she grew bold like a general does who was going to give the order for an assault monsieur she said will you do me a great and very great pleasure allow me to offer you this funny japanese figure as a keepsake from a woman who admires you passionately and whom you have seen for ten minutes of course he refused and she persisted but still he resisted her offer at which he was much amused and at which he laughed heartily but that only made her more obstinate and she said very well then i shall take it to your house immediately where do you live he refused to give her his address but she got it from the shopkeeper and when she had paid for her purchase she ran out to take a cab the writer went after her as he did not wish to accept a present for which he could not possibly account he reached her just as she was jumping into the vehicle and getting in after her he almost fell onto her and then tumbled onto the bottom of the cab as it started he picked himself up however and sat down by her side feeling very much annoyed it was no good for him to insist and to beg her she showed herself intractable and when they got to the door she stated her conditions i will undertake not to leave this with you she said if you will promise to do all i want to-day and the whole affair seemed so funny to him that he agreed what do you generally do at this time she asked him and after hesitating for a few moments he replied i generally go for a walk very well then we will go to the bois de boulogne she said in a resolute voice and they started he was obliged to tell her the names of all the well-known women pure or impure 
with every detail about them, their life, their habits, their private affairs, and their vices. And when it was getting dusk, she said to him, What do you do every day at this time? I have some absinthe, he replied with a laugh. Very well, then, monsieur, she went on seriously. Let us go and have some absinthe. They went into a large café on the boulevard which he frequented, and where he met some of his colleagues whom he introduced to her. She was half mad with pleasure, and she kept saying to herself, At last! At last! But time went on, and she observed that she supposed it must be about his dinner-time, and she suggested that they should go and dine. When they left Bignon's after dinner, she wanted to know what he did in the evening, and looking at her fixedly he replied that depends sometimes i go to the theatre very well then monsieur let us go to the theatre they went to the vaudeville with an order thanks to him and to her great pride the whole house saw her sitting by his side in the balcony stalls when the play was over he gallantly kissed her hand and said it only remains for me to thank you for this delightful day but she interrupted him. What do you do at this time every night? Why, why, I go home. She began to laugh, a little tremulous laugh. Very well, monsieur, let us go to your rooms. They did not say anything more. She shivered occasionally from head to foot, feeling inclined to stay and inclined to run away but with a fixed determination, after all, to see it out to the end. She was so excited that she had to hold on to the baluster as she went upstairs, and he came up behind her with a wax match in his hand. As soon as they were in the room, she undressed herself quickly and retired without saying a word, and then she waited for him, cowering against the wall. But she was as simple as it was possible for a provincial lawyer's wife to be, and he was more exacting than a pasha with three tails, and so they did not at all understand each other. At last, however, he went to sleep, and the night passed, and the silence was only disturbed by the tick-tack of the clock, and she, lying motionless, thought of her conjugal nights, and by the light of the Chinese lantern she looked nearly heartbroken at the little fat man lying on his back, whose round stomach raised up the bedclothes like a balloon filled with gas. He snored with the noise of a wheezy organ-pipe, with prolonged snorts and comic chokings. His few hairs profited by his sleep to stand up in a very strange way, as if they were tired of having been fastened for so long to that pate, whose bareness they were trying to cover and a small stream of saliva was running out of one corner of his half-open mouth. At last the daylight appeared through the drawn blinds, so she got up and dressed herself without making any noise, and she had already half-opened the door when she made the lock creak, and he woke up and rubbed his eyes. He was some moments before he quite came to himself, and then when he remembered all that had happened he said, What? Are you going already? She remained standing in some confusion, and then she said in a hesitating voice, Yes, of course, it is morning. 
Then he sat up and said, Look here, I have something to ask you in my turn. And as she did not reply, he went on, You have surprised me most confoundedly since yesterday. Be open and tell me why you did it all, for upon my word I cannot understand it in the least. She went close up to him, blushing like as if she had been a virgin, and said, I wanted to know what, what vice really was, and, well, well, it is not at all funny. And she ran out of the room and downstairs into the street. A number of sweepers were busy in the streets, brushing the pavements, the roadway, and sweeping everything on one side. With the same regular motion, the motion of mowers in a meadow, they pushed the mud in front of them in a semicircle, and she met them in every street, like dancing puppets, walking automatically with their swaying motion. And it seemed to her as if something had been swept out of her, as if her overexcited dreams had been pushed into the gutter or into the drain. And so she went home, out of breath and very cold, and all that she could remember was the sensation of the motion of those brooms sweeping the streets of Paris in the early morning. As soon as she got into her room, she threw herself onto her bed and cried. End of section 48. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista.